David McBride is an Australian whistleblower. In 2011 and 2013, he served in Afghanistan as a military lawyer to the Royal Australian Regiment and Australian Special Forces. Over two tours, he became increasingly concerned that the war was dictated by politics rather than the best interest of Australians and Australian soldiers. David McBride made information on war crimes committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan available to the ABC. This followed formal complaints David had made internally in 2014 that were dismissed by members of the Australian Defence Force. As a footnote, in June of 2019, the Federal Police raided the offices of the ABC because David had released information which, as we know, was broadcast on the ABC. The warrant, we believe, allowed police to add, copy, delete or alter any material they wanted to alter on the ABC's computers. If convicted of the charges made against him, David McBride faces many years in prison. McBride, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Can you tell us about your military and professional background? I uh, went to uh, the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst in the 1980s. I joined the British Army as a a lieutenant and eventually became a captain in the British Army, did a tour of Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm Australian by birth and I came back to Australia, became a lawyer, and I eventually joined the Australian military uh, as a, what in America they call a JAG, as a military lawyer. Mm. It was a nice combination of being a, of being a lawyer and being a soldier. And it was a job I loved. You got to go on operations. You got to uh, uh, be involved in killing the bad guys and trying to make things go well, controlling crazy generals and, and also crazy soldiers and being a bit of a referee in the various issues that you have in the military and at war. And it was a job I really liked because I was a patriot, I loved the country, and I thought it was a great way to do something good for democracy and, um, and use your brain for good. What charges are against you and why has the process taken so long? The charges are basically espionage charges. They're very oldie-worldie. They're not um, related to an official secrets act. We don't have such a thing in Australia, but we have equivalents. But I'm charged with basically giving plans to Australia's fortifications to the enemy without authority to do that. And there's a couple of charges under the Defence Act There's a few duplicated charges because I spoke to different journalists. It's the same charge, different journalists. And um, so it's related to endangering national security and it wasn't my duty to do so. I want to run the case on the fact it was my duty to do so. I was a legal officer. Um, I was a military officer. I think that means something. And I believe I had to be stand up and be counted. Um, over what I saw was really treason against our own country by our most senior people who were meant to be safeguarding the country. They were actually uh, doing the opposite. If you're found guilty, uh, up to 50 years uh, in prison, so you'll be fairly old when you get out, Um, but what's the delay with the trial? And Do you think there will be one? Is this just more of a... 
uh, more of, well, we have to look like we're doing something, but we're not. So we'll just make his life miserable and keep him in limbo. I think there's a certain, a, a large amount of that, yes. They're thinking, well, we'll never convict this guy, but if we make his life very hard, other people won't try it. They are definitely, the charges, as I said, are espionage charges. It'll be hard to make them stick, but they do want to scare other people. So actually, one of the best things I can do is always keep a smile on my face and saying, you're not scaring me. I'm proud of what I did. But it's they have drawn it out um, a fair bit. Every time I put in a witness statement, they put in 20 in reply. They've made it very difficult for me to prepare my case by putting secrecy orders on everything, which means that all the documents need to be stored in these uh, high security uh, safes, big metal safes. And it means that if, if my lawyers need to look at them and they need to get security clearances and security clearances take a long time and then they have to go to these special places where the documents are. We, we had one ridiculous time when we were allowed to see the documents in the Attorney General's office, but we weren't allowed to take any notes of the documents. And then they gave us a computer and they said, oh, look, this is a computer which you can use in the room. Um, we'll never look at what you put on it. Mm. <laughs> and my lawyers were like, you've got to be kidding. It was a computer the government were going to own, but they weren't going to look at. And so it, it's been a bit ridiculous in that regard. There's nothing truly secret about the information in the fact that there are certain things uh, which we do need to keep secret. I, I'm a patriot. There'd be certain codes or... Uh, uh, certain capabilities that we might have at a secret, but it's not about that. It's about cover-ups. It's about who knew what when. It's about putting out false messages from the top down. And uh, that sort of stuff is not secret. Uh, that's just embarrassing. And this is what the government is really trying to hide. They don't want people to know that, that the military is run like a sort of pretty second-rate corporation. Has it changed, do you think, a whole lot over... I mean, I always think of Breaker Morant and you always think of the charge of the Light Brigade because you're, you're uh, with the British Army. But has it changed a whole lot? Is it still top-heavy with pompous uh, officers, generals, uh, whatever you want, run by politicians or in the same group as a politician is? Um, to me, it doesn't seem to have changed a whole lot. And this has been brought out more by... The, um, the the chaos in Afghanistan, uh, different army, different country, but it does show you that the uh, that the uh, the brass or the generals or those making the decisions really haven't got much idea at all. Yes, and it, it, I'm a bit of an anglophile. I like to think the British army was better. We have become far more like uh, the Americans. Uh, all our senior people are politicians. I complained once to a senior leader, I said, I'm worried um, the senior leadership of the Defence Force are really just politicians in uniform. And he looked at me like I was mad, like, what did you think we are, you know? And that is one of the big problems. We we now, we the, the military in Australia just genuinely see themselves as pantomime soldiers who do whatever the minister wants. I found that quite confronting. I didn't realise that. I believe that we were meant to. We meant to be able to say no minister. And this is, and I, one of the problems I had when I was first trying to be was getting people to understand why that was bad. 
And the good thing about Afghanistan is it shows why that is bad. The generals kept saying we are winning when we were losing. The generals kept saying everything is going well when it wasn't. And the problem, because that's what the politicians wanted to say, because there's an election cycle coming up and everybody wants good news, no one wants bad news, so you just give out good news. That's all very well until it all comes tumbling down and it realised, you know, you've been lying all this time and the whole thing collapsed like a house of cards because you were just saying it was going well when it wasn't. We were trying to win the war by saying we were winning the war because that's what the politicians wanted. So that only goes so far. You know, if we were fighting a war today, you know, with the Japanese, what the way we would do it was we would get a green screen of Darwin and we would get some actors there showing, <laughs> showing us beating the Japanese and meanwhile Darwin would be burning, you know. That's the way they want to do it. They want to put fake, they think fake messages are enough. They don't care about, and you'd think, well, they'd never get away with that. But as, as you know, the, the terrible thing, and this is probably the biggest takeaway from it, is that they can get away with false messages over a period of 20 years. There's a lot of compliant people in the media. There's a lot of people who will buy it and not question, and the message can be completely false but it can be portrayed as um, as truth. And, the and, and I'm a great demonstration of the fact that the, the, the few people like me or uh, Piers Robinson, who you mentioned, who, who are the, the dissenters, we're the ones that come under the pressure. We're the ones that sort of end up in jail or, or, or get discredited or whatever. Anyone who speaks against the accepted narrative. SAS has been given a bit of a going over. Um, the media seem to like the going over of the military. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the media and their and yeah one one broadcaster in Australia in particular does it so well, being the ABC. Uh, if you're if you're a bloke, you're in trouble. If you're white, you're in trouble. If you mix those together, and if with the SAS, you're in real trouble. How do you, I mean, what's the actual feeling of the troops, of the, you know, the rank and file uh, of the, uh, this unfair attack by the media on the SAS through various means? I don't know. I mean, it, it is, it is it's, it, again, a bit like the war. We're reaping what we sow. And the, the, uh, the average soldier um, in the Australian Army does a very good job. That needs to be recognised. And uh, even if it was a, uh, in a misguided war and a lot of things went wrong, the blame needs to be at the top, not at the bottom. That's for sure. And I do agree that uh, drinking culture was never the problem. It still isn't the problem. Some of our leaders didn't drink and spent their days on their knees praying or whatever, and they were terrible leaders. I'd like to see, before any SAS soldiers get in trouble for drinking too much, I'd like to see a general put on, on trial, and Royal Commission would be enough to explain why Afghanistan was such a clusterfuck and why he said nothing, excuse my language, mm. why it was so... But, it, you know, if it's a professional soldier, it makes you angry. But before I'd see the soldiers getting hung out to dry for letting off a bit of steam, I would like to see a general... Um, who probably got people killed and wasted billions and billions of dollars, I think they're the ones who really need to be put on the spotlight. They're the ones, the average Australian taxpayer, 
would like to hear from and their ministers of defence to say it's all very well you walking around with your nose in the air and, oh, a void of scandal and, oh, terrible soldiers. But they're the ones that do the fighting and they do their best and you send them there to the war. It didn't go very well. And you, if anyone needs to really answer for what went on, I'd like to see the people at the top answer. Maybe they both need to answer, but I reckon most Australians, as you said, would have sympathy for someone who drinks um, after a hard day's work uh, as opposed to someone who lies to the country, uh, who costs Australian lives, who costs billions of dollars of taxpayer money. I think I know what the average Australian would see as a bigger crime. I was, I was, this is, again, one of the things that I, I kicked up a fuss about was that we had an incident in Kabul in 2013. And there was, a, there was, it was an incident and it was, but it was one SAS soldier and, and it was with someone else who was not in the army. But they, they found out that other SAS soldiers that had nothing to do with this incident had had a beer, one kind of beer. Uh, and they were, they wanted to throw them out of the SAS and throw them out and they were nothing to do with it, with the incident. And there was no understanding to say, if you put your life on the line every day, day in, day out, uh, having a beer and not causing any trouble at the end of the day, that's a pretty fair price. And I reckon the Australian people would see that. But And they also, it was doubly bad because they knew that SAS soldiers were having beers at the end of the day. But the, 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 the uh, atmospheric wind had changed. They needed some scapegoats. They found a guy that had a single beer on a life-threatening mission and they were going to throw them out and make an example of it. And that sickened me. That sickened mm. me that the general... And also, the, it, you know, it go, you go to lower and lower levels. The generals had all been to Kabul. They'd all had beers there. But now they suddenly couldn't remember that. No, none of them said, well, look, we all did it. We need to be... Mm. We need to be uh, relatively easy-handed with these guys. Everybody, they had a witch hunt and they chucked guys out of the SAS who were the sort of soldiers we need for having a beer against the rules. Um, that's bad. That's incredibly bad leadership. Yeah, that's the sort of crappy leaders that, you know, saw people dying on the, on the uh, you know, the beaches of Gallipoli, sort of idiots that, yeah. uh, that will throw their own soldiers to the wolves in order to sort of, like, look, holier than now in some sort of political way. Afghanistan's been in the news a bit lately, as you may have noticed. Um, but it hasn't been because of the, um, uh, the, the heroics of the soldiers. It hasn't been. It's just been of a, of a retreat, a chaotic retreat, uh, which was ordered by a senile old man. Uh, it did terrible, terrible things. You served in Afghanistan. Uh, what would, first of all, Two parts of this. How do you feel now, having seen what's happened? And two, do you think your time in Afghanistan and all the troops that have been there, those that have been injured and those who have died, do you think it was a waste of time? No. I don't think... It's all just have to go where their country sends them. And uh, we can't... You can't really complain about it at the time. And it's good to have people who are willing to serve uh, their country. We did a lot of good things over there. I'm proud of a lot of the things we did. 
one, the one thing that needs to come out of Afghanistan is we need to have some sort of a truth and Re reconciliation commission where there's accountability. That doesn't mean we start hanging generals, but we do get them in front of a sort of Senate estimates or whatever, and, and we say things like, did you know it was going badly? Yes or no? You know, did you did you feel like you should have told the public or the minister or that at any stage? We need to just ask them a few probing questions like that because we need to change the way we do business. It's not so much um, looking back at the past, but we need to avoid this in the future. We need to make sure we don't go into the next war, whoever that might be, but with the same idiots in charge who just focus on positive messages or woke messages or or what, whatever and don't look at the truth, don't care about the truth. And this is a great opportunity to clean out the rubbish at the top of the Defence Force and to um, start re-establishing uh, the trust between the Australian people and the Defence Force that whereas if if the if the Defence Force and the Minister tell the Australian people something, the Australian people know it's true. It's a really good example um, to set, as, as you know, that, that it affects everything. It affects the environment, it affects vaccines. We need to start valuing the truth and we need to start having accountability for people who don't tell the truth for their own self-serving reasons. It's, and I've been a... a, a, a not a, not surprised, more appalled at uh, in the last 12 months of Australia turning its back on its own. And uh, we look at, for example, in India when the hysteria hit a crescendo. And by the way, we've not heard much about India since. But you know, this terrible you know COVID, the Delta virus is running or variant was running through India, and these Australians or uh, uh, Australian citizens. Um, with the Indian uh, uh, heritage, uh, wanted to come back. And we said, no, you can't come back because you might bring this terrible disease, so we're going to leave them there. And Aussies around the world wanted to get back. Then I, then you see the withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan and you see the, the, the government turning its back on the, the, the support from the Afghanistanis, such as the uh, worked with the, the embassy and worked with the military, the locals there, we turned our back on them. Um, have you? Are you concerned with that? Whether it's true or not, the uh, the atmospherics are there because it does look like we are turning our back on those who have either fought with us or who are Australian citizens. Does that um, concern you? And are you are you surprised at that that meandering to this particular point in Australia's history? Yeah, I've been disappointed at various different levels, um, but yeah, that that is really quite disgusting. Yeah, and I, I noticed even before I left in two thousand and seven, eight, uh, two thousand and thirteen, I had a guy. He'd been um, uh, he'd been in the Afghan army during the Russian era. He was a very distinguished guy. He was a colonel. He then got a um, a legal degree. He worked with us. He helped us put Taliban in jail. Now, he wanted to come to Australia because he knew that his life wouldn't be worth living. Hmm. Um, we totally, you know, I, I tried to do the forms for him. You know, I've got three degrees. I, I should be able to do a form. 
I could not find the right form on the DFAT thing. It was obviously deliberately done uh, to keep people out. There, no matter any, who I spoke to in DFAT to say, look, this is a good guy. We should be saving this guy's life. He did a lot of favours for us. Mm. They were like, no, nah, he's an Afghan. <laughs> we, don't want, we don't want Johnny Foreigner. <laughs> and at the oh, same man. time, we were trying to get these people to give their lives for us. But um, if they wanted to come to Australia, we were like, oh, no, we don't, we don't, we, we, we become in many ways the most oily, you know, the, the most, you know, if you think of a sort of cartoon version of a bad country, that was us. We expected, mm. we expected loyalty of people laying down their lives for us, but we wouldn't give them the time of day. Yeah, we, it, the, the, the tragedy, the people we let die, simply because some um, pencil pusher in DFAT or couldn't be bothered to, you know, look at the forms or, or it, it was pretty disgraceful. If you were an Afghan and he worked with us, you'd be divided because you knew, Australian character is very, is very good. And, and, and mm. I, you see it in the tears in their eyes. They'd say things like, we loved Australia, but this, this betrayal, and it was a betrayal, this betrayal you know, breaks our hearts. And it really is a staining of our national soul that mm. we would leave people there because um, some 30-year-old idiot without any real experience is not sure whether they're going to be a suicide. i got to tell you, anyone that we say from Afghanistan to come to Australia who wants to live in Australia is not going to become a suicide bomber in Australia. But... Um, uh, but the people that we leave after having promised we were going to save them and then they get killed and we lead them to their devices of the Taliban, I don't know. I think that might be different. But uh, Joe Biden trusts the Taliban, uh, which is uh, just in one word, is that right or wrong? Well, it's kind of, it, it's funny in, in the sense that after 20 years of spread and however many trillion dollars of trying to, and all the hot air that's come out of the various different presidents and administrations. It is kind of funny now. Um, while he has to eat a lot of humble pie, I don't think he's got any choice. He needs to work with it. He needs to just acknowledge. He doesn't have to like them or trust them. I mean, how trustworthy are the US government? Put it that way. So um, it's all very well for him to say the Taliban aren't trustworthy, but um, I don't. I, I don't know that uh, they would think the US is that trustworthy. But they need to work together, and it would be a big mistake for him to undermine. You know, start another sort of a shadow war and undermine them, and, and that would be that would be bad for the people of Afghanistan in the short term, mm. uh, and it would be bad for the people of America in the long term. If Afghanistan becomes a sort of like an, another civil war graveyard, it can only be bad for America. You know, some of the splinter groups, this is why I think their policy in Syria is wrong. If you start arming uh, Islamic or, you know, fundamental terror groups, thinking that it's somehow going to benefit you in the long term, we've learned from Osama bin Laden's lesson, it doesn't benefit anybody. And they need to, um, you know, the, the psychology as such is they need to sort of say things like, mm. we want to work with you. And, and by all means, be ready to come out hard if you do get double-crossed. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think Biden made a mistake, and I, I agree with you. It was stupid of him to say, to start using sort of the George W. Bush phrase to say, 
after the ISIS-K um, bombing to say, we will hunt you down to the corners of the earth and we're going to fire up the B-52s. That sort of stuff is doomed to failure. Um, mm. Because that sort of talking tough, just because people want to hear it without anything to back it up, mm. uh, is, is you, you, because it's going to be a red rag to a ball. It's a bit like Obama's uh, famous line, oh, um, uh, if, if the Syrians use poison gas, that's a red line and we're going to come fight it. You know, what did you think was going to happen after that? But at least, though, uh, Joe Biden has um, uh, left a, a going away present for, which is normally done the other way around. They give them a present, but the present this time is half the uh, military, only about $120 billion worth of equipment. And that was a really nice going away present from uh, Biden to the Taliban. And, and you look at the Taliban, you think, yes, they're lovely, lovely characters. They're trustworthy and they will reciprocate with kindness. Probably not. Hey, David, given what you've been through, and what we have witnessed during COVID-19, the Australian government's position on Julian Assange. What are your thoughts on our democratic processes in Australia? Again, it's shocking. We're just a slave state to the US. You know, they, if, you, if you asked um, anyone in our government, particularly someone in the security services, what revelations, what damage Julian Assange, I doubt they'd be able to tell you. All they know is that he's an enemy of the United States and therefore, you know, he's an enemy of us. There's no idea that he's an Australian or he was a well-intentioned person or or he, the fact that he published some quite serious things where um, some action should have been taken against mm. people like Hillary Clinton and whatever. They, uh, there's no concern. Whatever the Americans want, we give them. And that's I think that's a really sad thing that we that we were once a proud country with our own ideas about things and and uh julian assange whatever you think of him um he's uh he's an australian he's not a terrorist and the australian government should at least uh have a view which is more sensible than simply whatever the americans want we'll give them where to now for you from here uh, that's a good question. I don't know. The trial's a year off. It may not happen. Uh, I do want to keep agitating for the truth. I, I, I think that we need to we need to have some sort of accountability. It affects it affects everything. I'm worried about the, the COVID crisis. I'm worried about truth uh, in the world uh, as a result of that. I have seen from Afghanistan that you can. You can have an emperor's new clothes situation where the vast population either believe a fiction or are talked into it. And I, I, I want to make sure that that doesn't become the, the new world reality, that people are allowed to dissent, that we don't put people in jail just for having a different view, uh, and that we, we look at the truth in matters. And I think that the only way that's going to happen is we get some sort of accountability. I'm, I'm always, I like to see my trial as rather me being on trial, the government's on trial, because mm. my justification will always be I was justified in what I, in what I did. Um, and then the judge will have to look at why I was justified. And while it's relatively complex, I don't think the government's going to come out of that well. And I would like to see 
some sort of truth and reconciliation where people look at and say, hang on, did we put out false messages to the country for a while? And did we, um, did we knowingly lie to the electorate? And I mean, no one will go to jail for that, but it'll be, it'll be a bit like the Banking Royal Commission and it'll be embarrassing. Mm. And people, you only need to embarrass some of these head on shows if you type, and people will think twice. That's all I want them to do because I can see if, unless we reverse the trajectory where governments and various just make stuff up and think, oh, well, often what we said in relation to the military was whatever sounds good is what we'll say. Now, I want to try to stop that, where people don't just think, we'll just make stuff up, mm. um, whatever suits us. You know, we'll say this vaccine works, even if it doesn't. You know, mm. we'll, we'll rubbish anybody that says it's dangerous uh, because that is our narrative and we don't even bother having to look into the facts. Uh, we'll just successfully assassinate anybody, you know, uh, reputation or otherwise, who agrees with the narrative. Now, that I think is very dangerous. And it happened. It's a fact in Afghanistan. I can, I don't know about, I don't claim to be an expert on the other areas. I know it, it was a fact in Afghanistan that we put out a false, successfully put out a false narrative. I, I suspect it's the case in Syria. Piers Robinson would agree with Matt, that we mm -hmm. successfully put out a false narrative. That is like we said, um, the Syrians let off poison gas, but it was hardly likely us. Now, that's pretty scary. Mm. Um, and uh, I have it on, it's, it's reasonable that that is happening in other areas. And we need people like, that's why I'm grateful for people like you, because you are the voices in the wilderness who, without you, people like me and, and Piers, we would just we'd disappear probably. But a little bit of a voice is, is incredibly important because we're, the dissenters may soon be drowned out uh, in in favour of the government-approved narrative, and that's quite scary. Do you think it's um, it's uh, odd that you're sent over to Afghanistan and we're sent to different parts of the world to fight for freedom, yet you come back to Australia and you have, through federal and various state governments, our freedom has been eroded? Uh, put on hold, taken away, and you can only get that back through basically coercion or dash blackmail. So you sent overseas to fight for freedom, and you come back here, and those freedoms basically don't exist. Just quickly, how do you feel on that? I think it's disgusting. And you're right, I laugh. And we've become so unable to see the faults in our own country. I laugh when there was up in arms, and you're right, on the ABC especially, oh, my God, Afghans can't leave Kabul airport. Like, Australians can't leave Sydney airport. That's right. Can't leave <laughs> you'd anywhere. Shot, you'd get shot trying to drive over, the, you know, climb over the fence of mascot mm. airport. And yet we were like, oh, my God, they're animals. Mm. That's <laughs> they're <not> <laughs> One more thing, though, one more thing before we go, because we're running out of time. Uh, you served both with the, um, the British Army and you served yeah. with the Australian Army. Now, Rommel in the Second World War, my dad tells me these things, said that if he had the Aussies on his side, he would have won. Not all that much respect for the Brits, but yeah, a little more than the Americans. But he held Australia up to high esteem. OK, you've served both armies, both British and Australian. The $10 million question... Which is the best? It's pretty easy. The Australian soldiers 
uh, are certainly of a higher capability. You know, they're, they're, I was quite surprised when I met a corp, my first corporal in the Australian Army. He would have been a captain of the British. He was a smart guy. Um, however, the British Army officers are better. One of the, and it's ironic as to why, because they have the, the sort of chinless wonder system and it works better because they're not professional officers. They're in the, most of them are in the Army for five, ten years before they go back to whatever their family state or whatever. And the advantage that actually has is that they will never do anything, they will never sacrifice their soldiers for, for their own career because they've got more to lose. And we used to, at first I used to laugh at that idea, Chinless Wonders, but actually our career officers in Australia um, are bad because they think I've got 40 years, you know, and I want to get to the top. Mm. So if they have an option of, of, of dumbing down, you know, dudding their soldiers in order to get to the top, they'll do it. A career officer is a dangerous person. Mm. Um, whereas a, an amateur officer, while he might not, you know, be as good at some things, uh, when the shit hits the fan, he will stand up for his boys because he's, he's made of the right stuff. It's been a pleasure chatting, talking. Uh, would like to do more of these, though. Yeah, so many more things. I mean, it's a great conversation. Uh, uh, ex-major, is he still regarded as major or is it just ex-major? I think you can say retired major. Retired major, yeah. sounds better, actually. Major retired. <laughs> retired major, David McBride, thank you very much. Thank you.